You're listening to Get Informed America, the only true unfiltered show that's fighting fake news and finding common ground. Now, here's your hosts, Dave Oakenquist and Rodney Johnson. Hello and welcome to Get Informed America, the show that breaks through the mainstream media box to bring you real smart news. I'm your host, Dave Oakenquist, and joining me is the smartest man I know, and he also just happens to be the editor of InformedAmerican.com, Mr. Rodney Johnson. Rodney, good morning. Morning, Dave. Ronnie, it's great to talk to you. I know I always say this, but it is great to connect with you every single week. And I'm sure everybody uh, uh, watching and listening at home uh, would agree to, to watch these two guys <laughs> come together guys, and talk yep, about... <laughs> Yeah, but uh, it is always a treat, Rodney, to get to get your take on things. And uh, of course, as you've been curating content for the website, and here I am, you know, out there watching stuff, talking about stuff, and keep my eye on on all the other things going on in the world. So it's good to to connect and share notes and kind of come to a, a little bit of a consensus about things. So let's hit our topics, Rodney. We've got U.S. states begin reopening their economies. Uh, we got an economic update. Of course, the United States, we everybody knows what's going on, but we get to look at some of the numbers going on there and possibly a look ahead. Uh, as well as a look at the November election, getting some news here, Biden surging maybe. Um, so, wow, that's a here we are sitting here at, at May, and if things hold, well, we'll get to that. Also, I have some polling data, Rodney, I want to get over, and, of course, stupid things we saw in the news. So. Right. <laughs> All right, so let's start with, uh, with states beginning to reopen. We got news out of Florida just a day ago uh, that on May 4th, they're going to start reopening. Texas announced a little bit before that that they're going to start reopening. Now, both states are kind of similarly, uh, doing a similarly phased model where the first phase is where uh, retail and restaurants and things like that can open up at 25% capacity, which is a little weird, but hey, we're, we're going to start slow. Georgia is almost entirely reopened. And uh, various states uh, around the country are starting to sort of start this this gradual reopening. What do you think of this, Rodney? I mean, the number one question is essentially, is it time or is it too early? What do you think? Uh, I think it's way past time, but that with the qualifier, right? We're all different. It's a really big country. I live in the state of Texas. There's 254 counties. I live close to Harris County, which includes Houston, Texas, which has, you know, a number of cases, as does Dallas County. Yeah. Uh, but I happen to live in Galveston County, which doesn't have as many. We have the beaches that are reopening today. And so it should be very local. Uh, now, that's a common theme of mine. I think control should be as local as possible. Whatever, any decision that can be pushed down should be pushed down. Yeah. And this is one of them where you give a local authority the ability to say, look, do we have capacity to handle what's going on? Do we have cases? Do we have likely spread? And do we have a population at risk? I'm not here to say that the city of New York should open faster because I'm not in New York and they have to decide what's going on. Uh, but it does seem odd that you would tell people in Schenectady, New York or Watertown or Sackett's Harbor that they should follow the same rules as New York City. Right. Uh, I'm just using this as an example. And the best example, of course, is the state of California where, um, you know, Orange County, which tends to be more conservative, did not close its beaches, although L.A. did. And so, of course, everybody in L.A. went down to Orange County to go to the beach. And the governor said, wait a second, there's a crowd at the beach. Close that one, too, when the obvious answer is open the other one. Uh, so, Well, that presents a problem, though, Ronnie. So if, if another place in New York, say, I don't know, Rochester or Schenectady opens up, does, it that, does that then create a demand uh, for new, people trapped in New York City to flee to these places, even just to get a hotel room and hang out? I mean, that's maybe one of the dangers. 
that is a danger. And so then you have to try and get people to go with the guidelines at a local level. And I hesitate to say with the regulation or the orders because they are guidelines in most areas uh, or at least should be. And so you kind of got the tale of, you know, two countries going on with some pushing to reopen, recognizing there's a danger, but asking people to use common sense. And then other people saying, no, no, we're going to clamp down and hold this down because the higher authority knows best. And um, that's just never seemed to work out well to me. And so, I, uh, I'm, I'm clearly of the mind that let locals decide because they know their resources best and then go with it. Well, it's funny you mentioned California because after that happened, News- Governor Newsom just shut the beaches down again. So that's, that's done. Exactly. That's he a, that's he shut down loophole. Orange County. Yeah. Whereas here today, Galveston County or, or the beach is open. So Galveston beaches are open today. And of course, it's going to be a mad rush. Now, this being said, as you and I talked about at the beginning of all this, yeah. and I got berated by a number of people that said warm weather shows some coincidence of lowering infection rate. And I had a, a number of people email me and say, that's a myth, blah, 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 blah. And mm-hmm. sure enough, of course, over the last four weeks, we're getting a lot of scientific data that says, you know, it doesn't uh, exist as well in warm weather and sunshine does a lot to get rid of it and vitamin D helps you fight it off. All things that happen outside, right? I'm not saying everybody go outside and they're not going to get it. That's not it. This, this is going to spread. There's no question. Uh, but it can help some. So it is what it is, right? Yeah. Uh, to your point uh, about, well, actually here in, uh, I'm in Pinellas County, Florida, which is uh, Clearwater, St. Pete. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're opening the beaches on Monday. And I think that's great. I'm not going to be there. <laughs> I think it's a good idea. I'm going to kind of, I'm going to let it, I mean, I really want to go to the beach, but I don't want to be the, the, the guinea pig that goes out right. there first. So but on the flip side of this, I was given a presentation last night to a group out in California uh, by Zoom, of course. And I told him, I said, look, a lot of the reopening is pushed by citizens saying, please let me out of this house before I kill somebody or myself, and, you know, including myself. A lot of it's driven by cities and states saying we cannot live with no income. And they yeah. are getting crushed because there's no sales tax, there's no liquor tax, there's no transportation tax, there's no hotel occupancy tax, there's no transportation tax on the airport. There's all sorts of stuff they're not getting and they can't make it. And so they need to reopen so that they get more of that. And guess what? One of the biggest uh, groups to get hurt by this will be the highway trust fund. The National Highway Trust Fund is funded by a gasoline tax. I can't remember what the number is. It's like 19 cents a gallon or something. And we're not using it and it's not getting funded. So. Yeah, and they, and here in Florida, they actually tack on an extra percent of retail sales to go to, to into that same fund as well. And of course, no, no, no one's no one's buying anything, so it's the same yeah. problem. Right. Uh, and yeah, I mean, to your point, I, I think that's true. Uh, that the states and local communities are like, well, just to use my county as an example, as you well know, the entire west side of of Pinellas County is 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 all beaches, restaurants, hotels, stuff like that. That's been all shut down. It's a very vital part of the economy. Uh, Rodney, what do you think about this 25% capacity? Is that just a good, good, good round number, I guess, a low number to hopefully ease people back in? Or, or is yeah, it just- it's a shot in the dark. I mean, for anybody <laughs> to say they know is silly. That's not going to happen. Um, I was at a restaurant last night picking up takeout, uh, but of course, where I am, there's yep. a lot of outdoor space. And so as we pulled up, you know, I'm listening to the guy doing his live rendition of, uh, you know, Garth Brooks on stage, and there's a lot of outside seating. And oh, nice. 
people are drinking and having a meal. Um, and what they did is they pulled 75% of the seating off of the patio and they're not allowing standing. And so I asked about it and they said, yep, opening today, they've pulled 75% of the seating inside. And on May 18th, we go to 50%. And so they'll add it back. And the, I think the point is one, to give them an opportunity to earn a bit more. Yeah. And two, to get people used to the idea of you're further apart. And so, you know, kind of ease us back. And I don't know, I, I don't really have a problem with that. I'm, I'm still of a mind that I've been from the beginning is we're doing all of this on the economic and the social side, but in the background, what we're doing is developing therapeutics that are the thing. I mean, remdesivir, I don't know if we talk about it later, but yeah. whether or not that actually is going to help that much, I don't know, but it's going to help some. It's not the only one. There are a number of therapeutics that are being studied right now. Several will make the grade. Getting a vaccine is harder, but therapeutics will show up. And once you got that, man, a lot of this just kind of rolls and it becomes like the flu where when we get sick, we go to the store, we get Theraflu and, you know, you kind of gut it out and move on. Yeah. Now, until we, until we get to that point, we're going to be in this space, this in-between space here as we're trying to reopen things and there, there could be a danger of people getting sick again, which then uh, could possibly lead to lawsuits regarding uh, businesses that reopen and have their workers come back. They don't want to lose their jobs. They have to work. They get sick and they'll be like, hey, now I'm sick. So, us maybe sue the boss. Connected to that is was a, an executive order by the president to keep the meatpacking plants open because they've been hit pretty hard, had to shut down, uh, gumming up the supply chain. And in part of that order was to was to protect these meatpacking plants from immunity from from from, from lawsuits. Right. Um, Senate Majority Mitch McConnell floated the idea of having this apply to all businesses during this period, but uh, um, Nancy Pelosi rejected that idea of falling on the side of workers. What do you think of, of this debate here? I think it's posturing. Uh, so, you know, the idea is I go to a restaurant and I contract COVID-19 and then I turn around and sue the restaurant and say, clearly you were not cleaning as well as you should have been and I got sick and you owe me money or, you know, God forbid I pass and my estate sues them. What if your boss says you've got to come back to work and then you get sick? Same idea. Yeah. Same idea. And so um, I, I look at that and I think it's posturing because on the flip side, Mitch McConnell said the cities and states, you know what, go file bankruptcy, figure it out. We're not going to send you money. Okay. Well, the cities and states in the worst shape financially tend to be those that have big democratic pockets. And it's not because they're Democrat. I'm not saying that. I'm saying because they actually tend to be larger. Hey, Ron, are you getting partisan here? What's going on? <laughs> actually, no, I'm not. I'm doing the opposite. <laughs> but, so Mitch McConnell is saying, I, I think businesses should be supported. And I think cities and states should, you know, fend for themselves. Nancy Pelosi is saying, I think businesses should fend for themselves and cities and states should be supported. And I think they're both staking out ground for their next level of relief package, which will include both pieces. All right. Excellent. Good. Great there, Rodney. Can't wait to see uh, how many billions they come up with. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. And, and to, the, to that end, the person that loses is me and you. Every time they make an agreement, you and I and everybody watching as taxpayers, we do lose. And yep. so we'll, we'll see what happens here. All right, Ronnie, let's move to the economy. Uh, this is going to get some hard numbers. We are now up to 30 million people out of work uh, in terms of unemployment claims. Now, the unemployment rate right now stands at just 4.4%, which will rise as, as the next re release comes out. But Rodney, doing a back of the envelope calculation, if I, if I take that 30 million and I divide it by a roughly 165 million part of the civilian labor force, I get 18%. Now, 
course, these numbers are calculated slightly differently, but that's, that's the real number, isn't it? This 18%? Actually, um, so that's... There, <laughs> We're going to go down the weeds or down the rabbit hole here or what? No, okay. it's so bad that I don't even like to talk about it. The 18% is just the additional initial filings to the three and a half to four percent that we had before. Oh, right, yeah. It gets you to 21 to 22 percent. And I say that it's so bad because the states that have been hit the hardest, their unemployment systems that register all of this have been overwhelmed. And so many of those who are unemployed haven't been able to file. We're just seeing the ones that were able to file. Now, normally when you file unemployment, you have to prove it, right? Well, you're unemployed. Show me that you got fired because you're filing for benefits. That's what this is, initial Correct. unemployment yeah. claims. And so you have to show that you were fired, uh, not for cause, this, that, and the other, and you have to prove you're looking for a job. There's some qualifications. We've set those aside during this pandemic. And so you can take those numbers and say, yep, those are the ones we're going to pay on, so it is what it is. Yeah. And there are the millions more that haven't been able to get through on the phone or computer. And so I think we're much closer to 25% than we would like to admit. Yeah, that's right. So, right. so you add that 18 to the already existing and then the unknown out there that, yeah, that's just, I mean, that's just a staggering, it's a staggering percentage of people who, right. are, who are out of work. And what we've done is um, we've, we've created a permanent reaction to what is a temporary situation. And it wasn't on purpose, of course. Nobody went into this saying, let's put a double-digit number of Americans out of work. Let's put businesses under, and they won't come back, many of them, uh, until we get through this, and then it'll all unwind. They, we can't unwind that. And so the, uh, the hope is that unemployment falls below 10% by December of 2021. Well, you know, that's, that's a long time from here. Absolutely. You know, I was, uh, yesterday I spoke to uh, Dr. Paul Zeitz, an epidemiologist, and I asked him, you know, when, when you guys are putting together these models of, of these diseases and, and you sort of, you know, how many get infected and how many die, I mean, do you ever account for the economic impact? And the answer is essentially no, that's sort of not what we do. But, you know, right. <laughs> this is something we need to include in all this stuff is because here's, this, here's the reality now. You know, if you, if you do X, you know, that not only is this going to lead possibly how is this going to lead to you know, infections and deaths, but also what is this going to do to the economy? It's, it's, it's unbelievable what, what the real impact is, the long lasting impact uh, for those, of course, who get sick, but also those who can find themselves now unable to pay their bills. Uh, Ronnie, also, we got the GDP growth this week, minus 4.8%. But that's just the tip of the iceberg, right? I mean, we're looking ahead to next quarter. We, I mean, we're looking down a cliff here. What, 20, minus 25%, minus 30%, minus, I don't know, 50? <laughs> where's, the, where's, the, where's the end of the abyss here? Yeah, so nobody knows. The unemployment, or GDP, as you know, um, is quoted annually in the United States. So it's really down 1.2%. And they say, wow, you know, that's a 4.8% um, annualized number. Now, the first quarter was January through March. And so really the last three weeks of March is what tanked it. Right. Um, consumer spending fell by 7.6%, which is the largest drop on record back to the late 1950s. Uh, so the estimate for the next quarter, second quarter, ranges from a good number of negative 27 to a bad number of negative 50. Now, again, those are annualized. And so, you know, you're looking at negative eight to negative 13, 14% for just the quarter. Uh, and so it's, um, it's going to be difficult and nobody really knows what it's going to be. 
the real question out there isn't the down. I mean, turning off the economy, and, and we didn't turn it off. I mean, a lot of things are still out there. We're still going to breakfast. We're still getting essential services. A lot of people are still working from home. Um, but, the, but the economic lockdown is an event. You know, you get an order and you stop. You, go, you don't go out the next day. You don't, yeah. you don't drive to work. Reopening is a process, and it's never been done, certainly never voluntarily. And so we don't know what it's going to look like. The question is how quickly and, and all the other things, right? Um, I am not hopeful that it's a bounce back to previous levels because I don't see how that could happen that way. Um, so we'll see. Yeah. We'll see. We're in a new world. And as we get, as we get back into that new world, uh, we, will, we may have a new president elected in yeah. November. We're, we're getting closer and closer to that day, Rodney. I mean, this is... Full swing. I, mean, I guess that by the time we hit, you know, we're a little ways away from August when this thing is in uh, all the way up in, in high gear, but we're getting closer and closer. We got news from uh, Hillary Clinton endorsing Biden. Meanwhile, Rodney, these Tara Reid sexual assault allegations aren't going away. Now, this morning was the first time Joe Biden directly addressed the allegations himself and uh, he denied them. But, uh, this isn't, this isn't, Oh, sorry. Did you say something? He's he's denied them consistently. That's I don't think he denied. I don't think he was. I think today, this morning, I believe, was the first time he was specifically asked directly himself to give his own. I mean, his campaign has denied it in a certain right. right. Through his campaign, he's denied it consistently since it came out. Today's yeah. the first day somebody asked him a question. Now, I did hear something that Elizabeth Warren has been buying up online ads. Is she a plan B or is this is, is it Biden all the way? I don't know. Uh, so, of course, you know, the question is out there about Andrew Cuomo, which I, I, I don't think has merit because he wasn't on any ballot and primaries, but also he hasn't been vetted that way. And there's a long vetting process uh, by the press and by the public uh, that goes into this. And so it'd be really hard for somebody to kind of show up at the last minute who wasn't uh, part of the race in the first place. Uh, much easier for a Klobuchar or a Warren. Uh, I left out Sanders on purpose, not because... Um, he couldn't jump back in. He's technically still on the ballot, as are the others, uh, when it comes to the um, to the nominating process at the convention. Uh, but he doesn't have that broad appeal. He he has a very fired up base, but it has a limit, and, yeah. and we've seen that limit as we've kind of gone around the country. And so, is Warren a Plan B? I don't know. I. I, I think it is Joe Biden. It is Joe Biden. It is Joe Biden. Uh, this is just something that they have to get through. Yeah. And, so let me ask you about that. I, I mean, is this going to drag him down? Is it not? I mean, now I'm old enough. To, I'm seeing the mainstream media reaction and I'm, I'm old enough to have lived through the Kavanaugh <laughs> confirmation hearings, uh, believe all women, uh, handmaid's tale, um, all this, all this stuff, um, with an absolute certainty that, uh, Christine Blasey Ford was telling the truth and you could not question her, uh, very different, very different kind of reaction we're seeing this time around, aren't we? <laughs> Sort of. Um, so I'm old enough to have lived through the uh, Clarence Thomas um, nomination hearings that Joe Biden presided over with Anita Hill uh -huh. and the Clinton uh, impeachment with Monica Lewinsky. And so when you when you look at this, it is partisan. And that is the thing that comes back. And it's something that, you know, you hit on often uh, in commentary is the hypocrisy of it all. And so th these allegations would be much easier to discuss and take if we didn't think that everything that came out of Washington or a newspaper from each side was highly partisan. Yeah. Uh, because the first thing that happens is you say, well, President Trump has this list, you know, this Playboy bunny who's 
pretty darn good looking and a lot younger than him. <laughs> um, and then you have Stormy Daniels and, you know, all these other things going on. And they say, oh, but he do, he's done worse. And it's like, people kind of thought he was a scoundrel to begin with, whereas yeah. Joe Biden is supposed to be the Boy Scout who's fighting the scoundrel, blah, blah, blah. Uh, but the hypocrisy is, it's what sours me and I think sours a lot of people on many things that come out of the mouths of those in Washington. And the notion that it, even if I've met my representative, which I haven't, by the way, um, and I thought he was a good guy, mm -hmm. The fact that he toes the party line because somebody further up says, if you don't, then you won't be included on these committees and you'll be a sidelined, nothing representative who never gets to do anything important. The whole system is stacked against common sense and telling the truth. And that's the worst part. So, I mean, the takeaway here is uh, the cynicism has been fully exposed, I guess, in this whole process. Exactly. And so here's a guy who is famous for touching people. I, I didn't say inappropriately touching people. He's famous for touching people. You can go, you can go on Google search images and you'll find any variety right. of... And so to say that, pictures. you know, he rubbed her shoulders and made her feel uncomfortable... <laughs> That seems pretty easy, right? I think there's somebody who can say that about last month or at least, you know, six months ago um, because that's, that's who the guy is. And again, yeah. I didn't say inappropriate. The, the further thing of inappropriate, you know, she is the only one that we've heard from and he has a very long and public career stemming back to the 1970s, early 70s, if not 69, I think maybe is when he was first elected. And so there's, there's been a long history where it didn't happen with anybody else. Doesn't mean it didn't happen here. Right. It just means, you know, like everything else, you put it through the normal process instead of prosecuting him in the court of public opinion like both sides like to do to each other. And what matters most is what voters think, and we're getting some early polling numbers, Rodney, something we talked about when we were preparing yesterday. I've got here uh, RCP average uh, between Biden and Trump. Nationally, Biden up uh, nearly 6, 5.9%. Pennsylvania, six up up 6.7%. In Michigan, Biden up 5.5%. In Arizona, Biden up 4.4%. In Florida, 3.2% in Wisconsin, 2.7%. I mean, if this, if, these, if this polling holds, which I don't think it will at this point in May all the way through November, but if it holds, Biden is your new president, Rodney. Well, and, and I guess we go back to the previous thing. So President Trump was, you know, a scoundrel by, by most accounts from the day he Rep started <laughs> running for office. Um, but... The, the choice was not him or somebody else in the Republican Party, after the nomination, of course. Yeah. It was him or Hillary Clinton. Yeah. And so people said, well, he kind of represents the I ideas from this point of view that I want, whether or not he is the one that I wanted to be there. A lot of people did. Totally get that. A lot of people love him. Um, it, but he represented a side. And so it wasn't, well, I have these six other people that represent the same thing. Let's get one of those. It was him or Hillary Clinton. And so the Democrats are going through the same thing. If they villainize um, Joe Biden here, they're like, well, what's the choice? Just go vote for Trump. We're not going to do that because the numbers are so set with the 42% that are just, you know, President Trump, President Trump, President Trump. Uh, and then the roughly 48 to 51% that are, not Trump, not Trump, not Trump, not Trump. And so believe me, they're voting for Joe Biden. They're voting, they're voting who, for whoever is not Trump. It is yeah, what it is. Absolutely. Now, a question to me, though, for, for independents, 
Uh, have they seen Joe Biden? Uh, I, I don't know that anyone's really, I don't know that he's actually, I've been exposed all that much. And it, but I mean exposed, not, n- not in a negative way, but actual exposure, <laughs> like people seeing him the way his, we talked about his mental decline. I mean, the man is not all there. And I think this virus has helped. The lockdown has helped because he hasn't had to go anywhere. And he hasn't had to get really any impromptu questions from anybody where you could, you could see there's nothing going on upstairs so i think that remains to be seen as the economy starts opening up any any thoughts on my uh my well, joe, joe biden has been a gaffmatic for as long as i've been watching politics and, and kind but of i'm not talking gaffs i'm talking i don't know what year it is or what planet i'm on that's not a g- <laughs> yeah i i you know he's 78 right I, I think he's 78 or he will be 78 soon and uh, so now it is what it is. I think to your point, though, um, once he, he locked up essentially the nomination, um, then he's been given a pass because he's not in public where he is prone to such things. Yeah. And so I don't know that this really helped him all that much because it gave President Trump a platform to talk every single day, which, again, I mean, now that we're seeing his numbers fall, maybe that's not so helpful either. They're going down, too. Yeah. Anyway, it, I, I'm calling it the shelter-in-place candidacy, and it's just going to wait this whole thing out in the basement. <laughs> I think that's what's going on here. That's the strategy. Biden, uh, said, also- Biden said we should move the election back, and I think a lot of people are actually the reverse. Just hold it tomorrow. Yeah. <laughs> don't, don't let either one of them talk anymore. Just put the ballot out and see what happens. Yeah, and then we'll, we'll get inauguration day, and he won't be able to recite his, his oath, and everybody will be like, wait, we elected wait, that's Joe Biden? I thought he was the guy from <laughs> that ran with Obama in 08. <laughs> uh, we got some other, new, some other polling data, rather, from Rasmussen in terms of enthusiasm. Uh, it says 60% of American voters are enthusiastic. Uh, 34% say it's going to be a contest of the lesser of two evils, which is to always be the case. Uh, and there's, there is a split round in, in terms of enthusiasm. Republicans are highly enthusiastic by a rate of 75%. Democrats, just 57%. Uh, do you make anything out of that, or is it just going to be there's people still hate Trump and they'll they'll get they'll find enough enthusiasm to try to vote him out of office? Oh, I they're definitely going to find enough enthusiasm. Uh, the numbers uh, tell me what's been going on in in politics now for really since two thousand four two thousand five is a move toward um, identity politics um, as as a as a liberal group. And I don't say that in a bad way. I mean, it's, it's been about reaching down to specific groups and saying, Hey, this group has, has had an issue for some time. Let's lift them up and let's, let's talk about this specifically. And it's many different groups. The problem when you do that is that every group wants to be the one that has their agenda at the top and it can't happen. And so it's very difficult when you've built a coalition of specific groups as, as groups, right? And then said, okay, now we all have to work toward one common thing. And they're like, well, I didn't show up for one common thing. I showed up for my thing. (laughs) Yeah, "Yeah, but your thing has to exist in harmony with these other things. And so it's, it's really hard to get widespread enthusiasm that way. And it shows up every time that we get to a national election uh, for Democrats. And I'm not saying it's bad or wrong. I'm saying it's, it's how it plays out. And so uh, I don't take much from those numbers. Um, and polling in general, right? Because you look at what happened with polls. Um, what I think we're going to see is uh, coalescing around candidates as we get closer. And yeah. it's going to be the anti-candidate thing. People now have four years of experience with Trump. Those who said he wasn't going to last because he was going to blow up, get impeached, or cause us to you know, go to war and kill everybody were clearly wrong. It didn't happen. 
but then again, you have four years of experience with him and people can point to whatever they want, good or bad, and say, this is the reason. And I think that's going to be what drives the election. Yeah, that's an interesting point. I mean, scandals, uh, impeachment, the only thing that can possibly take down the president, Trump now, is the global pandemic. And, that, <laughs> and nobody thought that in the beginning, right? <laughs> right, right. And so, you know, the, the worst thing for, the, for people that don't like Trump was that the economy was kind of bumping along at moderate at best, but the stock market was flying. <clears throat> and now that's been taken away. And yet his numbers remain the same. And so I think, I think that just shows you it is a bedrock. Yeah. I want to run through just quickly some other things. There was a question that Rasmussen posed about Tara Reid. Uh, 34% believe Reid. 24% think Biden is telling the truth. So kind of close there, uh, favoring Reid like right now. But 41% is undecided. That's the big number there. Um, anything, you make anything of that? I, think, I, think, I don't think people really even know too much about this thing yet, right? I think we're kind of in the earlier stages. The a- average Joe, does he even know who Tara Reid is? Right. I don't think so. One, because the mainstream media hasn't said who hears <laughs> yeah. about it, right? It's been on the front page of the New York Times a couple of times as a small piece, mainly for them to push back against uh, several uh, political leaders, uh, Democrats saying, well, the New York Times looked into this story, investigated it thoroughly and found nothing. So I don't believe her or rather I believe Biden. They don't say they don't believe her. Yeah. Uh, but the New York Times hit back and said, hey, wait a second. We did not do some in- exhaustive investigation. We certainly did not come to some conclusion on this one way or the other. So no, no, no. We were only hinting that it was all OK. We didn't come out and actually say it. Uh, right. But they're, they're not <laughs> allowing uh, a lot of people to push off their own judgment and say, oh, well, I'm just siding with the Times. So, yeah. Well, that is good. All right, Rodney, I want to talk about, we talked earlier about uh, states reopening and what maybe some of the attitudes would be about, about getting back into the economy, people inserting themselves back, coming out of their houses, going out in public. Um, quick, one, one small thing here is about face masks. Uh, this says 57, 57% of people wear a face mask every time they leave the house. That's a very high number. Uh, 29% sometimes, 14% uh, say uh, that, that they don't wear them at all. And uh, a majority don't favor uh, municipalities finding people for not wearing a mask. But Rodney, 57% wear one every single time. That's a big number. Have you worn a mask out in public? I have not. I have so one. You're one of the 14% or? <laughs> I, I am. Uh, but, but, well, I'm not going to say in my defense because I'm not going there. Hey, you're um, an American. You can do what you want. Well, I, I don't leave my house often. I work yeah. at home. And so... Uh, my wife does the grocery shopping, uh, typically, uh, from time to time we do it together. Uh, but I'll leave the house probably once every three days. Uh, and, you know, we'll drive to pick up food from a delivery place. I might go to Home Depot. Yeah. Um, but, but no, I don't. And so, but I'm, I'm mathematically driven. A mask does not stop me from getting the virus. And that's kind of a well-worn thing. It's the way it is. A mask stops me from transmitting it to somebody else. And uh, which, or rather, that's the greater use of it. The likelihood of me having it is ridiculously low. I, I mean, it's numerically, it's it's almost non-existent because of my travels. I'm so routined yeah. uh, in what I do and who I see, and so that I don't do it because I'm guarding against something that almost doesn't exist uh, in the very short term. So that's why I don't. But no. <laughs> I'm one of them. Okay. I'm one of the 29 who does it sometimes. I've, I have worn a mask out in public, but not every single time because, uh, well, I'll say I, when I go into a store, I'll put a mask on, but usually that's very rare. Most of the time I'm going out, I'm going out to a park to take my dog to run around for an hour or so. So I don't need, I'm out in the, I'm out in the air. I'm not, I have no worry when I'm out in a park. Um, 
I play golf, uh, yeah. but I, I tend to play alone I, because my house backs onto a course. And so I'll go out and walk three, four, five holes, but I'm not with anyone. Yeah. Uh, now, do you go, do you pay at the gate so you can do those three, four, five holes or are you trespassing? <laughs> I'm a member of the club. And so uh, I do okay, pay. Okay. And I don't, I don't even go to the clubhouse because I back on to number one. And so okay. I just kind of walk out there and do that. And I, I call them and say, hey, this is what I'm doing. Um, okay, so, I just wanted to, wanted to make sure, Ron, that you're following the rules. <laughs> I do follow the rules. Uh, but my point is, so I just, I just don't see people. Um, yeah, yeah. I, I don't know the last time I was in a store. It has to be... Um, Probably three weeks uh, since I've been in a store. So. Wow. Yeah, I've been about a week, week, week and a half for me. All right. So here we are. When we at the, uh, there's a, a survey from uh, Democracy Fund in U UCLA. Uh, they found that 58% of people would definitely not or probably not go, go out to the movies when things reopen. 57 uh, would not attend a professional sporting event. I think all that makes sense. Uh, they found that 44% would not send their kid back to school. That's a, that's a big number, particularly if the school opens up and you just say, no, <laughs> I'm not sending him. Um, some, uh, that's a big number there to me. 49% uh, said they would not go out to a restaurant to eat. Another high number. 60% uh, said they would, they, would become, they would be comfortable going to a friend's house and eat dinner, but, uh, and only 52% said they'd be comfortable getting a haircut. So those are the only majorities of the questions that they posed of doing different things. What do you think of those, those results? People are very scared to get back out there, aren't they? Uh, they are. I'm surprised that 60% would be comfortable getting a haircut. I, I always wonder about people and their, their decision-making. So you're comfortable with somebody physically touching you after they physically touch somebody else in a very right. close manner, not for just a second or two, but for, you know, 20 minutes plus. Uh, but you are not comfortable uh, going to a restaurant where they're specifically wiping down and you are away from them. <laughs> so anyway, it doesn't, doesn't matter. Yeah. So uh, I, I find those numbers interesting. And it I would, I would not be surprised to find that the numbers show that they are dramatically skewed, right? The, the people who are over 50, like me, and yeah. people who are over 65 are saying, wait a second, I'm not doing any of this. And so I bet those numbers are highly skewed by age. Um, the big problem is going to be with colleges. And it's something we haven't talked about. And I know it's, it's probably uh, not on people's radar yet, but seniors... 18% of seniors say they're just going to gap, high school seniors are saying they're going to gap year next year. They're just not even going to worry about it because colleges haven't decided if they're going to reopen and yet you have to pay a deposit. And so there are some institutions out there that are going to be in a world of hurt as we do not open at full speed. And so we talk about restaurants, talk about bars, talk about sporting events. You got to look at some bigger institutions out there and ask who's going to live and who's not. Yeah, it's going gonna, it's gonna to be an interesting period there. So, yeah, great point. All right, Randy, let's move on to our final segment, Stupid Things I Saw on the Internet and News, and I have a case of elite hypocrisy, as you uh, hinted at earlier. These, uh, both these stories come from informedamerican.com. Nashville mayor calls for 32% property tax hike to balance city budget to fill the gaping $472 million revenue hole. Uh, as, you know, I'm sure there's not the only city that's having a hard time right now. That we're, and he says, we're just going to jack up the property tax. People aren't too happy about that, Rodney, are they? <laughs> They weren't. Uh, to, in his defense, I mean, he said they've drained the rainy day fund and yeah. they've cut its spending by 120, 125, uh, uh, I'm sorry, $125 million. And so he said, look, we've done the other things. We've got this hole. And Nashville is a city of tourism. So they, they are not looking at a return anytime soon. And the tax rate was higher five, seven years ago. But then again, property values were lower. And so 
in terms of what people are about to pay, it's going to be painful. I don't know yeah. if it'll stay at you know a 32% hike, but cities and states around the nation are in their budgeting process right now because they have to pass one by June 30, and a lot of them are staring down a bad set of facts. Right, and but yeah, to but the point is, you know, for for the average citizen, they all of a sudden get a massive bill that maybe they can't pay. So you got it. Yeah, passing that buck down. So that not maybe now is not the right time to do this. Uh, we also got a story from foreignamerican.com that you found, Ronnie Jackson, Mississippi mayor signs order revoking right to carry law and doesn't go very well. This ticked off a lot of people, even led to a lawsuit. And it brings up that debate about what are our rights during the time of crisis. And certain city leaders of uh, this Jackson, Mississippi mayor found an opportunity here to uh, maybe get guns off the streets to end violence. But hey, we do have that thing called the Second Amendment, don't we, Rodney? We do. And so that's the big fight. And I, I think there are going to be several lawsuits that end up going to the Supreme Court about what can be abridged in such times and what cannot. And this goes back, this is not something just about this. Um, or, you know, students of history, Abraham Lincoln suspended habeas corpus yeah. during the Civil War. And I mean, throwing you in jail for no cause and leaving you there, that's something. And so um, he was fighting, you know, what he thought was sedition and this, that, and the other. But anyway, he suspended it. And so uh, was that CNN? Oh, no, they didn't have CNN back then. <laughs> Sorry. So they, um, this has been around as a fight for a long time, and it's a fight worth having. Uh, and so hopefully we do end up coming to some, you know, clear resolution of, of how you, what, what you need to abridge some rights. Uh, you have uh, mayor, I'm sorry, you have uh, governors like the one in Michigan who just extended several emergency orders by executive order because the legislature didn't agree. Yeah. And it's like, wait a second. So the elected officials representing their, their group said no. And you said, oh, I just know better than everybody. That, that, as I said at the beginning of the show, any decision that can be pushed to local, I think should be pushed to local. That's something we talked about. And uh, I mean, it, and I don't know what happened in the Lincoln case. Was, ever, was that ever adjudicated by a court? I, I just yeah, wonder. If I, we, these I don't believe. Coming. Well, I would have to go back and look um, because where would it wind to, right? It would yeah. have to show up in New York and then get to the Supreme Court in D.C. D.C. was technically part of the South at the time. It was all, I mean, it was, of course, a mess. Yeah, um, the, the I would imagine it was. That, well, look. Sorry, but the, the point we, is, is that we have a crisis. They, they suspend these things. Then the crisis actually does end and then things go back to normal. And then we kind of forget that this happens again. So right. I think it would be good to actually get this thing, get some decision on this. You know, what, what is the government allowed to do? Because this isn't going to be the last crisis. Right, right. Ronnie, I got. I, I know you're just dying to hear the story of elite hypocrisy. Now, this one is it's kind of multi-leveled. Um, yes. <laughs> this deal is. Go ahead. Okay. <laughs> this it's slightly. I don't want to say I'm late to this, but it, is, it was developing. I guess Chris Cuomo, the anchor at CNN. Mm -hmm. You heard Rodney. I'm sure that he he tested positive for coronavirus and was uh, at home. Right, quarantined. Now a few days of. ago, CNN did a dramatic. Emergence, re-emergence of Chris Cuomo coming out of quarantine, out of his basement. He was sweaty. He was, he was down in there, and now he's ready to interact with the world again. Well, turns out the guy had broken quarantine long before this. He wasn't sheltering in place in his basement. He got into a, come to find out, he got into a verbal altercation with a biker, out, not outside of his home, but 30 minutes at another one of Chris Cuomo's properties. 
Mm. Nobody will admit to this. He won't admit to it. He's uh, he's saying, you know, and then someone called him out on it. He replied on Twitter saying, I was, uh, when, when that incident happened, I was just happened to be outside my house. Didn't say which house, by the way. And uh, I was already out of quarantine. It keeps going. And there's proof of this because somebody, some internet sleuth found his wife's blog, which noted on that very day, which was Easter, that Chris, because she was treating him with certain kind of uh, natural health medicines or whatever, notes, Chris, 100 degree fever. So his own wife called him out, (laughs) well, inadvertently called him out for basically the man is, you know, he's our moral arbiter. One of those guys on CNN telling us all the shelter in place. The guy gets sick and turns out can't even, can't even stay quarantined on his own, Rodney. This is, this is horrible. This is, this is an embarrassment, I think. Well, it's the same thing, right? It's the hypocrisy of, you know, you should be doing this and the rules don't really apply to me. Or when I'm caught lying, don't look at that. See, you need to look at these other facts over here. Yeah. And uh, it's what sours us all as we look at it and say, come on, you know, just step up, man up, tell people what you did and move on. And that seems to be really hard for a lot of people. Yeah, particularly when they become the, the moral scolds of our, of our society and they cannot hold, hang up to any kind of scrutiny or even hold themselves up to that same standard. Very angering to me. <laughs> it's just unbelievable. Now, Rodney, here's another story. Another Wait a second. Thing. I think that means that the moral of the story is don't set your standards so high. You know? Yes, exactly. <laughs> set the bar low enough you can step over it. <laughs> just, just live in the gutter and you'll be fine. <laughs> I don't know that I go that far, but I do like the whole idea of, you know, the bar is down there somewhere, so I made it. Thank goodness. <laughs> uh, back to a, a final stupid thing I saw in the news, Rodney. It comes from informedamerican.com, and it's the headline written by, I believe you, another reason dogs are better than cats. They might sniff out coronavirus. Now, I take offense. I love my dog, but I also have two cats, so you know I'm not going to play favorites here. So for all the cat lovers out there, I'm standing up for you. You have a hairless cat, Dave. <laughs> Come on. Play favorites already. Go with the dog. <laughs> uh, so i just wanted to have a little fun with that one but that story was actually good that they may be able to use pooches to uh to, to sniff out a virus much in the way they 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 sniff out bombs so that would be great if you could use do dogs to to screen crowds and stuff like that because i've seen this at the airport where they just have a dog sitting there no you're good you're good you're good you don't have to do anything extra so yep. um yeah so great <laughs> <laughs> just wanted to poke at you a little bit before we get out of here. I did I've, give cats a, you know, a little hat tip there at the end that, you know, at least they use a litter box. So <laughs> th- th- there is something good about them. But well, would you want the dog to use a litter box? <laughs> it that. would have to be a big litter box, but when it's <laughs> raining right crazy some days, you betcha. There are oh, times you. where it's like, oh, please, God, I don't want to do this. Just go use the litter box. Oh, yes. Understood. Actually, 100%. can we train them to use the toilet? I mean, I, I don't know. It's just a thought. That's the next step. And then, and then driving. I want to do that one too. <laughs> Ronnie, any, any stupid stuff you saw in the news you want to bring up before we get out of here? Well, stupid stuff. I, I don't know. There's, uh, there's a couple of good things. There's a woman, um, Megan Jessens, who started uh, Miss Megan's Camp Kindergarten. And uh, she's a part-time kindergarten teacher uh, by profession. But of course, she's staying home like everybody else. And she has a six-year-old and four-year-old. And so she decided, hey, I'm going to start this thing for, you know, some of the kids that may not be, you know, getting some structure and help out parents who can then work with older kids during that time or perhaps, you know, do their job at home. Yeah. So she started this Facebook page um, and before she even made it public so that outside people could join, she had 15,000 people on it. And she's at 88,000 kids that tune in every day at 10 a.m. Eastern. So, you know, people trying to help. That's kind of awesome. 
Yeah, good to see that happen. So there's really there's nothing there that, that's stuck in your craw, Rodney. Nothing, nothing bothered you. <laughs> nothing well, you mentioned some of them, and so uh, I went with the ones you did. The the Michigan governor who continues to lock down when oh. her own citizens are saying, "What are you stupid?" And and it's because it's statewide, right? It, for people that know Michigan, the UP, the Upper Peninsula, mm-hmm. I happen to have relatives there, and I we go every once I don't know seven ten years on vacation. It's beautiful, but there's just not many people there. Treating it the same as Detroit or treating Western Michigan the same as Detroit is silly. And, and it, it borders on obtuse, right? Choosing not to recognize information that's readily available. And yeah. so that's the thing that just strikes me as just idiotic. Great. Yeah. And actually, to that, to that point, Rodney, even in the case here in Florida, is uh, Governor DeSantis has, has lifted it statewide. However, it's not for the three counties in Southeast Florida who have been hit hard. He's leaving that to the local officials to decide. So. Right. Right. Miami-Dade and Broward, yep. Yep, real basic, real common sense there. All right, Ronnie, thank you so much for joining this week. This joining me this week, and thank you all for watching. I want you to become an informed American by subscribing to this channel. And if you if you've enjoyed this content, do hit the like button. Also, always check us out twenty four seven at informedamerican.com, where you can get real smart news and great content curated by Mr. Rodney Johnson. Rodney, what, before we got here, what can you tell people is uh, in the hopper and in the, the pipeline for stories coming out on the site? Well, it's going to be about, you know, what happens on the reopening. And there's no question the stories over the next several days are going to be about crowds, uh, areas where they didn't expect people to be so crowded, people mm-hmm. who are not social distancing, which is what I fully expect. And then days after that, in the next, you know, two weeks is going to be, do we see spikes? And just like the Wisconsin election, when people were required to go in person, we didn't see a spike in COVID after that. And so it'll be interesting to see, you know, what comes of it. And also next Friday, uh, we get the unemployment numbers for April. And um, I'm expecting them to be a little bit grim. So that, that's what we're looking at. Yep. And we will be here next Friday to report on all of that. For Rodney Johnson, I'm Dave Oakenquist telling you to get informed, America. You've been listening to Get Informed, America. Brought to you by the Informed American Radio Network. Please like and subscribe today in order to get new exclusive weekly episodes. Any questions, thoughts, or comments can be sent directly to info at informedamerican.com. And don't forget to visit informedamerican.com to keep up with real, smart news. Until next time, fight fake news and find common ground.